Ephesians chapter 3, first 13 verses. Please follow in the reading of the Word of God. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight of the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of His power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mysteries which for the ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart in my tribulation on your behalf, for they are for your glory. Father, we come now to hear from the prisoner of the mystery, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, who brought to us Gentiles this fabulous truth. Father, I pray for the hearers today. I pray for me. Father, we understand the magnificent power that has been given to us, the magnificent privilege that you have laid upon us, and Father, the magnificent promises that you will complete in us that that you have called us to. We love you. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen. We are looking at these first four verses. At Christ's prisoner, he has been in a jailed in Rome for five years. And the reason that he's in jail is for preaching the unity between the Jew and the Gentile. He had served Christ with a clear conscience. He had preached this mystery that was revealed to him. And that God had given them this mystery to preach specifically to the Gentiles. And he couldn't do anything about what the reaction was. Oh, do I know that or what? I remember dealing with a text in Romans where it says, None seek after God, no, not one. And a young Russian man in the back raised his hand and says, I'll have you know, I have always sought after God. And I looked at him and I said, then take and mark that out of your Bible. 
And everybody understood what I just said. And he threw a book at me. <laughs> what really hurt my feeling, it was a book that I'd given him. <laughs> so he threw it back. And he left in a huff. And, but he did come back the next day and apologized and asked for his book back. But anyway, <laughs> I share that because we are not called. It's like the parable of the four soils. You know, every one of us want to see somebody reap a hundredfold. Oh, yeah, that's, that's good. That's good stuff, right? We are just sowers. I can't help if the cares of this world steal the seed. I cannot help if the evil one sends someone to steal the seed. I can't help any of that. Okay? The thing that you and I have to understand, we're just throwing seed. You know, and years ago, I used to just cross my fingers. I don't even do that anymore. Years ago, I decided that, no, Lord, your word will go forth and accomplish exactly what you sent it out for. He was a prisoner. And he was a prisoner because he had been faithful to Christ. He'd been a prisoner for five years at the writing of this letter. Therefore, Christ had him there. That made him a prisoner of who? Jesus Christ. Okay? James tells us we count it all joy when we fall into various trials. Jesus says, count it all joy joy when you're persecuted for me. When you are persecuted for righteousness. Why? Why should I take joy in that? Because the grace and glory of God will rest upon you. Paul's point of view of being in prison is great. I shared this last week. Everything that you go through has a perspective on it. What are you going to do with the perspective? Is it negative? You know, I had a conversation with one of the people that was cruising through this garage sale thing that they had on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And they were trying to explain to me that what God does is hang out and wait for us to make decisions so that He can be glorified in how He adjusts the decisions. I was like, really? I said, uh, can you tell me exactly where that is in the Bible? Well, I haven't been able to find it in the Bible. I'm just going by experience. And so we had this ongoing dissertation. And I, I just kept thinking, I said, you know what? There's no such thing as an accident. I know that they came, it started snowing on Thursday, and it was kind of funny. Well, it wasn't for them. It was funny for me because I was sitting in my heated office. But, I, you know, I was, I was in the office, and uh, I went down to see the, the disaster. And, and, I, I, and, and the lady who kind of was heading this thing up was pretty traumatized and kind of on the borderline of crying. I said, well, I prayed that it wouldn't rain. She said, well, look, it's snowing. I said, but it's not raining. And she says, well, then could you be more specific? <laughs> so anyway, I wasn't going to use the phrase, we need the moisture. But what is your point of view? 
In Philippians chapter 1, we looked at in depth last week. The Apostle Paul, we've got to remember, where's he at? He's in a Roman jail, okay, under house arrest in Rome when he writes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. Okay, those are called the prison letters. Why? Now you know. All right, so when he writes them, he says, I am a prisoner of Christ. Why? Because people are having more courage with my imprisonment. They are becoming bolder. In Philippians chapter 2, he says, If I be offered as a sacrifice for your faith, now think about this for a second, I rejoice. Hmm, interesting concept, isn't it? If I have to suffer for your faith, then I rejoice. Anybody want to get in that line? In Colossians chapter 1, another prison letter, I fill up on my body the afflictions of Christ for you. That's what happens when you have a 17-hour layover in Moscow. I think, this is for them. Because I know it ain't for me. (laughs) Okay? I go through all this stuff the Apostle Paul is telling us for you Gentiles. I want to get the gospel to you. I want to get to you salvation. Salvation. See, that's what Christ wants. Paul says, I am his prisoner. I am not in Roman chains. I am not in Jewish chains. I am in the chains of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, we're not right now getting arrested. But it wasn't that long ago in the 60s and 70s, you could get arrested in the United States of America for preaching the gospel. Did you know that? I know three people who went to jail for preaching the gospel in America. You know why? White guys preaching the gospel in black churches. And that was against the law. All right. It's coming again. It's coming. There's much that comes into your and my lives that causes sadness. It causes pain. causes grief. Anxiety. Suffering. Heartache. And you know what? It is very easy for us when these are coming... To get into our pity party. And we want people to feel sorry for us. We want sympathy. We seek that sympathy. Or, you can say, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, even when I'm in the valley of the shadows. It's our perspective. Listen, The shepherd always, always, always comforts. Especially if you look at him. Whether you're free or whether you're a prisoner. I was uh, detained 
in the northern part of Georgia. <laughs> and, you know, the it was an interesting conversation. And everybody was concerned that I wasn't concerned. Does this not trouble you? No. I look back over that valley there, and that's beautiful. <laughs> but they can arrest you. You don't have a visa. So be it. I didn't have the heart to say, you know, they kicked me out of Russia, right? Because <laughs> I had a multi-entry visa. And they said, anybody's got one of those. This was back last administration. Anybody had one of those can't come again. So that's why I don't go back to Russia. They just didn't like my bubbly, effervescent personality. So some people just can't handle things. But you know, even then, the shepherd comforts. I remember getting stopped in the subway in Moscow. And they, they, their English is about as good as my Russian at that time. And the only thing they could say is papers. So you hand them your passport and your visa. Come. And so we go and we're in this hole in the wall in the subway with one little, it's, it's like a movie. It's one 40 watt bulb hanging from the ceiling. And you're sitting there going, you guys ain't making this up, are you? But anyway, so they did this, and then they finally let me go. And my interpreter was with me and says, did that not bother you? No, not really. You know, why? Because I'm doing exactly what the Lord's wanting me to do. So whatever goes on here is his. And then I run into a guy who was a federal cop in Russia. Okay, antiquities. And we hit it off well. Uh, hockey was on strike then. And he asked me, why is hockey on strike? And I told him that it's, it's over money. He says, they make lots of money. And I said, well, they want to make more. And he says, that's crazy. And I was like, yeah, in so many ways. But anyway, so we were talking. He gave me a, a Russian officer's cap um, and a Russian flag. Uh, the Russian flag is hanging in my office. I gave him, I actually mailed him an American flag when I got back. And he gave me his card. He says, anytime you're in Russia, you have problems, you call that number. So I get a get out of jail card <laughs> for, for Russia if they ever let me back in. Okay? Listen, whether it's good or bad, whether it's blessings or trials, it's all good if you're his prisoner. It's always his chains. It's always His glory, His purpose. It's always okay. That's the place He puts me in. The Apostle Paul's perspective is, I don't care what's going on. Remember, he was stoned and left for dead. And he get, comes back to consciousness. What does he do? The good Christian says, I wipe my feet off from this place because these people don't like me. Okay, What did he do? He went back in. And people say, well, why did he do that? You know, there was a young man in that town that was listening. You know what his name was? Timothy. Timothy says, dude, they knocked this guy out with rocks and he's back again. <laughs> he's crazy. <laughs> See, that's the ministry. And that's the only way you can view it. If you view ministry for the success, you will be crushed. 
What is your point of view? He makes this statement here in verse 2. You have heard of my stewardship. You have heard of my management. Okay. What does that mean? It's God's way. It's God's plan. Okay. And if you got to look at it, go back through your Bible. He manages things. He started it off managing it by some guy named Adam. And then he moved from that. He went to what is called the patriarchs. Moses, Joshua. Okay. He went from there. He started to use Israel to manage it. And they did it through the priests and the prophets. Then he went to management through his son. Now, where you and I exist, he manages things through the Spirit of God and his church. In the future, when Jesus returns and sits on the throne in Israel, what is known as the Millennial Kingdom, Jesus will manage again. And then eternity will deal forth for us. And it will be uniquely managed in eternity. Alright? So, when I read this, that there are stewardships, there have been different types of stewardships throughout the history of humanity. And there's different ways God uses managers. God has a, had different individuals with different methods through the different ages. Okay? And they're all stewards. You gotta remember something. They're all stewards for Him. Samson was a manager, a steward for God. Now there's a piece of work, eh? And you look at it and say, well, he took a Nazarite vow and he broke it every breath he had. The only thing he managed to keep in the Nazarite vow was to grow his hair long. Other than that, he wasn't even close. Wasn't even close. Okay. Unique to this age, Paul says, I have a stewardship, I have a management that has been committed to me. And it is a stewardship of His grace. Alright? Verse 3. Okay, and it's, I have a stewardship of God's grace which He has given to me. For who? For you. Look what he says in verse 3. That by revelation. Okay. These mysteries that I have been sharing with you. And I will get more in detail in the next few verses. Are by revelations. Alright. Understand. We looked at it last week. If indeed you have heard this, the way the syntax is set up and the way the preposition is in there, it lists, you have heard this. You know what my stewardship is. Alright? I have, was made known to me the mystery. Alright? What I have in this mystery came straight from God as I wrote before in brief. Now, we've got to go back, I'm going to go back to a text that I looked at. Last week, I won't spend as much time on it. But Paul always saw himself as a steward. Okay? 
I shared with you what a steward was. That is a person that owns nothing. Okay? And the person who has made him the steward has him manage all of my assets. Here's what it says in chapter 4, 1 Corinthians 1. Let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Alright? Verse 2 says, In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found what? Trustworthy. Are you faithful with God has given you? Are you using your stewardship? Are you using your gifts? Are you using your abilities? Are you faithful to use them? Are you available to use them? How is your fellowship with the saints? Look around. Look around who's sitting here. How is your fellowship with these people? Do you pray with these people? Do you edify these people? Do you exhort these people? Do you challenge these people? I know, Terry, you're a challenge. Do you challenge each other in love? Each one of us has a stewardship. Peter said it this way in chapter 4, verse 10 of 1 Peter. As each one has received a special gift, employ it into serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God has given gifts. Every one of you has something that is completely unique to you. There's no one in this room, no one on this planet that has a gift like you've got. But it was given to you by the grace of God so that you would manage it for His people. He wants to manage properly. He wants to manage properly for the unity of the body. Paul tells them, Paul is telling us, you have heard about this, that the stewardship that I have is from God. Okay? It is given to me for your sake by revelation. It was revealed to me. As I wrote before in brief. Well, when did he write about it? I thought you would never ask. Chapter 1, verses 9 to 12. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of time, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. And we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ Jesus would be to the praise of His glory. Okay, that's it in brief. When you read 9 to 12, chapter 1, I'm about to say you understand my knowledge of this mystery. Now that's what He's setting the stage for you and me. 
I'm a prisoner. I'm a prisoner of this mystery. And here is why. See, he understood this thing. I received it from God. And so when you receive it from God, what do you do with it? Put it in your best suit. Hang it in the closet. No. Pass it on like the Apostle Paul. He received by God and he revealed it to me. God revealed it to me. The mystery of Christ. Okay, now, remember I told you, if you read Paul's letter, you kind of see that the term in him or in Christ kind of freaked him out. It was just one of them things you're like, wow. Okay, this is the passion that is behind it. I received this mystery from God. And I'm going to share it with everybody that I find. This is the Apostle Paul's heart. This is truth. That truth, the church is one. God gave this message. The church is one. You know what is amazing to me about this? I listen to a lot of the international news. Uh, I kind of check out the BBC. Uh, I found a station that gives you uh, um, the Jerusalem news and Israel's news. And one of the things that is amazing to me globally is there is no unity. And we call ourselves the United States of America. If you come from Mars and land here, would you agree with that? Okay, and you know what? I'd have to go back and say, I can't ever say at a given time. Maybe when they was running them British redcoats out, they might have been united. But from that point on, it's kind of gone downhill. All right? So to say that we're going to be unified, man can't do that. You know what is really weird? Man can't even think it. I'll hear him say it. But you can, I'll ask you one question. How many peace treaties have remained firm? None. None of them have. So that, that brings unity. See, God revealed this to the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul is so concerned about it that he introduces it in chapter 1. He speaks of it in chapter 2 and he details it here in 3. Then, the end of chapter 3, 14 to the end, I'll pray that you understand it. Why? Because it is so foreign to man. It is so foreign to man. It is important to me. Paul is screaming this. I've spent my life communicating this. I've been through riots. I've been through imprisonments. I've been stoned and left for dead. So this is important to me. And I want you to all know this. And I want you to understand this. Okay, now drop verse 4. By referring to this, okay, what I wrote in brief, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Okay? That word understand is amazing to me. Fascinating to me. 
It has to do with mental comprehension. It's not that I got a bunch of facts. Two plus two is still eleven. No, four. All right. There are things that you can just go to. I can just regurgitate it. But then you come to mental comprehension. Okay, now let me share with you something. As lovingly as I can. Mental comprehension has to always come before application. Make sure you understand what I just said. I'm not talking about mental knowledge. I'm talking about mental understanding before you get application. You can't apply to your life what you don't know. Okay? Let me give you a for instance. Wives, you are to love your husbands and submit to them, right? And that's not what it says. It says, wives, you are to submit to your own husband. Why? He's an idiot. Why? Try this one. Husbands, you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church. And the husband will smile and say, Listen, I bought her a 65-inch TV so she can watch football with me. How much more loving can I be? Right? Do you want me to touch on the one that is the hair trigger? Children, honor your parents. And the first thing they say is, why? They're both idiots. See what I mean? We can sit and tell people, why am I not to have sex outside of marriage? Because God said... There's a reason. But see, if I don't know and mentally comprehend it, how do I apply it? See what I mean? They call it a renewed mind. A renewed mind. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21... Professing to be wise, their foolish hearts are darkened. That is the opposite of understand. I turn the light off. Why? I don't want to know what it means. I don't care. I don't need to comprehend that. The foolish hearts are darkened. That is the opposite of knowledge. It is ignorance. Paul is telling us he understands this in his mind, he comprehends this. My knowledge of this, this mystery that has been revealed to me affects my very life. When you start understanding God's principles, you'll start understanding God's plan. When you understand God's plan, then you understand what God's purpose is. You understand the whys of what he says and does. 
But you can sit around and tell people what to do biblically till the cows come home. If they don't comprehend, if they don't mentally get it, you're wasting your time. See, I read Paul and that's where the passion and zeal came from. It's it's one of those, I got it. He understands what it means. It was part, when you get it in your brain, then I remember when Stephen Olford made the statement to me one time, and it's still so awesome. Once you get it and you comprehend it. Listen, I'm not talking about, I heard such and such say. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you poured through it, you wrestled with it, you chewed on it, you regurgitated it and chewed it again. And now you got it. Then you, as Olford would say, you flesh it out. You know what that means? We see it. We see it. We comprehend with our minds these wonderful truths. And guess what? They'll affect the way you live. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you're dealing with. I don't care what pit you're in or what pit you just came out of. Once you get these, they'll affect the way you live. We can't exhort people to live a certain way unless we give them the thing to understand why. God just doesn't sit around like this. What can I do to make them mad? I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to do that no more. Why? That ain't the way God operates. God doesn't have do's and don'ts just to make us miserable. You know, He's got this really weird thing going on. He created us. Okay? And because He created us, He knows what's best for us. He knows what's perfect for us. But we do like to be on the advisory board, don't we? Thus, you have the Apostle Paul, the prisoner of the mystery, a man who so believed in the unity of the church that he was willing to give his life for it. And think about what I just said. How much does the unity of the church mean to you? The Apostle Paul was willing to go to prison for it. And if necessary, die for that unity. I shared with you what happened in Acts 20, 21 and 22 last week, last two weeks. They had riots. They wanted him killed. First to understand it, then to pass on that understanding. Then to pray that those that heard it would walk in it. Would walk in it. I have in my life dealt with what I call mixed marriages, believer, non-believer. And inevitably, the believer gets extremely frustrated because of the lifestyle of the unbeliever. Okay? And, you know, I've got to tell them at some point, how do you expect them to live? That's their nature. I cannot expect an unbeliever to live a holy life. 
I just can't do it. You know why? That's one of them impossibles. Okay? They can't do it. They can't even comprehend it. And they'll sit there and go, well, why? I love my wife so much I got her a big screen TV. She just didn't appreciate it. Right? That's unbelievers. See, my challenge is his. Expose myself to these mysteries. Comprehend it. Share it with you. And pray that you get it. I remember when I first took over the pastorate here. I would teach on Sunday. Sunday morning, I would teach the first part of the text. And Sunday night, I'd teach the second part of the text. Okay, so I just kept going through the book. And I kept thinking to myself, because, you know, about Wednesday or Thursday, you'd be cruising along. And you'd be sitting there pouring over the book. And um, I got a scare. I thought, what happens if Sunday rolls up here and I don't have any idea what this text means? What do I do? Just walk up and say, ah, duh. Okay, we're singing today. Okay? And, and it just bothered me. I mean, it was, it was troubling. And then God revealed to me, that ain't what you should be afraid of. I said, hmm, what should I be afraid of? That it's not true of you. That's what you should be afraid of. And that's one of those, oh my God moments. Because he says, you stay to my word, I'll give it to you. But you better make sure it's true of you. Learn this truth that the church is one in Christ. When you learn it and you comprehend it, you understand it, it will become a part of your life. Every single one of you. Listen, I hate to break the news to you. This is what the Lord wants. John 17, he prayed that we would be one. Okay? Do you think that Jesus might know what the Father's will is? Anything you ask in my name, that shall I do. He wants us to be one. The design is that we be one. The Spirit has already given us a bond of unity. The Spirit helps us to understand the greatness of this reality. All believers are one in Christ. All believers. Now remember, wheat and a tear. Okay. But I'm also told that if someone is divisive, what should I do? Anybody know? Put them in a trash can. With the love of Christ. No. What do you do? You separate from them. If someone's device is separate. And let's be realistic. If you got somebody who complains all the time, do you like to spend a lot of time with them? See? 
And everybody says, well, that's a biblical truth. No, that's common sense. If all you're going to do is complain, you know, go over to the complaint department. We are all believers. All believers are one in Christ. We are all one in Christ. But not everybody saying that they're a believer is a believer. See, the easiest way to spot a true believer in this country, easiest way, look at their humility. Because let's be realistic, that is not, humility is not a strong suit in this country. Okay? You want to see a true believer, you'll see someone who's humble. And it doesn't matter what they got or what they think they got or what they're doing or any of these other things. You know what? They're always pointing to Him. They're always pointing to Him. Because when I look at the humility at each other, and then in that humility, I will consider others more important than myself. And once I step into there, I'll be buying big screen TVs for everybody. No. (laughs) Don't get your hopes up. (laughs) Remember, Pastors take a vow of poverty. <laughs> I'm not sure where in the Bible that is, but I'm sure it's in there somewhere. Humble servants in the bonds of peace and the unity of the Spirit. Now think about that. Castle Rock Baptist Church, you need to wake up. Humble servants in the bonds of peace and the unity of the Spirit. We love each other. We reach out to each other and we will meet each other's needs. That's what the Apostle Paul's telling us. Referring to this, you will read and understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ, you and I are one. Are one. People say, Well, you're a pastor. Don't you have authority over the flock? Nope. Don't. This book does. I don't. Who do you have for accountability? This book. Where do I get away from? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Where do I get away from that? I know. The dumpster, dude. You said separate. Go to the dumpster. No. Brothers and sisters, this is important. This is the mystery revealed. We'll get into it in verses 5 through 13. But that unity is already there. You've got to know it. Now, whether you act like it or not tells me a whole bunch. If you don't understand, you don't comprehend it, or you don't have the ability to comprehend it. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher. Lord, uh, this is so awesome to me. And as the more I pour over it, the more I wrestle with it, the more I just, I walk around thinking about it, I stand in awe. This unity is not man thought, nor man taught, or man capable. And yet, Father, in eternity past, your plan was that we would be one, male and female, Master, servant, Jew, Gentile. There is no difference. 
We are one in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for us. I pray that we understand this. Father, I pray that everybody who hears this will comprehend and in comprehending will flesh it out. To you, my King, in Christ's name, amen.